I thinking back now, I didn't really realize how much an impact it had on me, but looking back, it did because I really saw like, this is what I want to do. I want to be a singer. This is Gemma Sherry from the USA, and you're listening to Jazz Matters. Welcome to the Jazz Matters podcast with me, Darren Harper. This is episode 38 and our second episode of 2021. So I just wanted to start by saying a huge thank you to all of you who have listened in to the Joe Webb episode over the last couple of weeks. It felt a little bit like stepping into the unknown, having taken a six-month break from releasing episodes. And I was a little bit concerned that some of you who have supported the podcast so much over the last couple of years may have drifted away to pastures new. Alas, I needn't have worried as the episode saw the most downloads in its first seven days than any of the previous episodes. And even after just two weeks, it is already sitting comfortably in the Jazz Matters Top 10. So thank you so much for your continued support. And if you haven't heard that episode yet, you can still find it along with all the others wherever you are listening to this episode. And of course, at jazzmatters.net. But this time out, it is all about the Philadelphia-based Australian vocalist Gemma Sherry. We'll find out all about her early days in music, a career that has taken her all over the world, and how Gemma has made the most of the unique time in which we find ourselves. All that right after a little bit of music from her debut album, Songs I Love. This is Gemma Sherry, and I fall in love too easily. I fall in love so easily
Gemma Sherry grew up in the small Australian outback town of Castlemaine. But luckily for her, Castlemaine was considerably more advanced in terms of culture and the arts than many similar towns at the time. And Gemma found herself from a very early age immersed in music. At home, Gemma had a family who very much loved music, although were not necessarily musicians themselves. However, her auntie did play saxophone and Gemma quickly developed a fascination with the instrument and a desire to be able to play it herself. Fortunately, her primary school was also very progressive with music and performance and students were encouraged to play in a range of bands, choirs and ensembles. They also encouraged Gemma to sign up to music lessons, but it will be some time yet before she will be able to get her hands on that saxophone. As soon as uh, we were allowed to choose an instrument to play in primary school, uh, I wanted to play saxophone, of course, because that was in my mind what I wanted to do. Uh, they didn't offer it. They only offered flute and clarinet, to much to my disappointment. So I reluctantly chose clarinet because I was told that it was as similar to saxophone as I was going to get. So uh, I didn't really enjoy learning clarinet much, but I, I guess I must have known that the, you know, the end result was going to be I could play saxophone once I got to high school. So I practiced you know, somewhat then and, uh, and still kept doing music and, and loving it. And then the moment I hit high school and could sign up for saxophone, that was like the first thing I did. And I'll, I'll never forget bringing home my like rent a saxophone because you had to rent a saxophone at the beginning of the year uh, and bringing it home and just so excited to hold it so uh, yeah like high school was when kind of my saxophone and jazz uh, grounding started really happening Whilst Gemma was getting her foundations in music education and improving her skills on the saxophone, her introduction to jazz came in the best possible way, jamming with other musicians and learning as you go. Gemma lived close by local musician Alan Watson and he used to run a weekly jam session every Sunday which her sax-playing aunt would often attend. These sessions had become the thing of legend and everyone was welcome regardless of instrument, age or ability. So it would often be frequented by everyone from young beginners to professionals and even some well-known touring musicians when they were in town. When she was only about 12 years old, Gemma was taken along to one of these sessions and Gemma found herself in at the deep end very quickly, the youngest in the room by about 30 years and she found she was loving it. I started playing a song. I didn't know the song. And 
Alan all of a sudden pointed to me in the middle of this song and just said, you go solo and just stared at me. And I, I didn't really have the guts to say no. So I you know, put my sax in my mouth and, and started playing. And luckily for me, I have a decent ear. I'm naturally, you know, got a good ear for music and uh, know if something sounds wrong. So I gave it a good shot. I played a few wrong notes, of course, and it was definitely not one of my best solos I've ever done. Uh, but that was, that was a, a very memorable moment for me because I realized that, uh, you know, jazz isn't always about preparation, yes. Big musicians do prepare and learn all their core changes, but jazz is also just about getting in there and, and giving it a go and, and really immersing yourself in the music and, and trusting your instincts as a, as a musician and a creative. Once slightly older, Gemma continued playing jazz in trios and quartets, influenced by legends of saxophone, such as Charlie Parker and John Coltrane whilst also studying classical saxophone at the University of Melbourne. But she also started to find herself more drawn to the great female jazz vocalists like Billie Holiday, Blossom Deary and Carmen McRae. And she was soon convinced that a jazz singer was what she really wanted to be. And what's more, Gemma felt that all that time learning her craft on the saxophone had actually given her the perfect start. Saxophone, I think, helped me immensely with my singing. And it wasn't like it was deliberate. Uh, I mean, I always did sing in choirs, but learning saxophone really solidified me the importance of melody. I, I know really good singers know this, but there's a lot of singers in the mid-tier out there that don't really understand the importance of understanding the melody of a song. Melody, like the chords are important, but melody to me is just like the heart of it. And if you don't, fully grasp what the melody is and have learnt it like perfectly, then it's very hard for you to to break the rules. So, you know, they always say you gotta learn the rules before you break the rules and and melody's important. Um, I, I I love singers that improvise a lot on on melodies. I think that's great and really embellish and do their own interpretations. But I really am a purist and I've been called a traditionalist with singing uh, because I really do like to stick as much to the melody as possible with some you know minor embellishments but I'd like to stay true to what the composer and and the lyricist has written because they wrote it for a reason they had a particular intention and they were great songwriters and that's why these are songs that have lasted a long time that's why they're they're called standards because they are standard songs that just are, are timeless and if we you know changing them is interesting and fun and fresh but I like to think that, you know, I bring a very fresh take by being very pure with the song so people can just sit back, of course, enjoy my voice, but really enjoy the songs because that's what it's all about. So with her heart set on singing, there is still a big leap from someone who enjoys singing jazz to an international touring and recording artist. But for Gemma, it was a very fortunate, unique and memorable experience that reinforced to her that this was the path she had to follow. One of the most memorable moments I can remember is actually going to see Incognito for the first time in Melbourne. Uh, my brother first introduced me to the band uh, 
like listening to their albums back in you know, my teenage years. And I remember hearing 100 Degrees and Rising. I think it was Carleen Anderson was singing that song. And I just remember like, these songs are amazing. Like who writes these lyrics? These are incredible. Who writes these melodies, the arrangements? They just it blew my mind. And I remember feeling so inspired and motivated. And, and my brother and I started writing songs together a lot from that moment because I just really felt like, you know, this is the kind of music I want to write, the kind of music I want to be involved in. Anyway, um, I found out that Incognito were coming to tour in Melbourne and of course, like immediately got tickets and it was fantastic and, and went along. And luckily a friend of mine was playing in the support band for Incognito that day in Melbourne and said to me, because he knew how big a fan I was, like, you know, like come backstage after the, the, the gig and come and meet the band and everything. And I was like, oh my God, really? Like I was such a huge fan of Bluey and the band and just, it just blew my mind. Anyway, so I got to go backstage and met the band and uh, long, kind of long story short, I, uh, I like, fell madly in love with the keyboard player, Matt Cooper, who's just an incredible keyboardist, um, had such an amazing career and, and it's a great guy. And so we both like, fell madly in love and uh, he invited me to come to Sydney and, and see the, the band play there in Sydney, which led to him inviting me to come on tour with them. Uh, and so I toured with Incognito in Japan that same year, only like a month or two later. And like that experience of touring with such an incredible band, playing music that I loved and, and getting to be there and go to their gigs every single night when I mean, they had, you know, we're doing two gigs a night and seeing kind of what touring life was as a musician. Uh, I thinking back now, I didn't really realize how much an impact it had on me, but looking back it did because I really saw like, this is what I want to do. I want to be a singer. I love singing and just the whole experience was really great for a young musician just to be able to see firsthand what it was like to be a touring musician. So yeah, I'll never forget that. You're listening to the Jazz Matters podcast at jazzmatters.net. Shortly after this, Gemma moved to New York to pursue a career in music. Once there, she studied vocal improvisation at the New School and earned a master's degree in teaching music. Gemma also found herself veering away from jazz, developing a strong interest in house and dance music, releasing a spate of singles and working with top producers, mainly across Europe. Her single, Work That, was actually one of MTV's biggest dance tracks of 2017. But ultimately, the pull of jazz was too strong, and Gemma came back to what she had always loved and set about recording her debut album, Songs I Love, in 2019. The album consisted of 13 covers, a mix of standards and some lesser-known gems, and it was released in December 2019, and Gemma set out on the associated promotional gigs gearing up for an international tour, working hard to get her new music out there. Of course, as we all know, just four months later, everything stopped. Well, seemingly everything, but not Gemma's desire to be creative, both in the music she was making and the way she made it happen. So like many, many other musicians, I was just like, what am I going to do? 
Uh, and I really could have just said, well, that's a sign from the universe. I'm not meant to be a singer. This is just, this is the end of the road for me. Uh, but I didn't. I, I stopped and reflected for a bit and I realized, you know, how a lot of people were stuck in their homes right now. A lot of people were just feeling very alone. And I was like, what can I do? And I decided I wanted to release another album. And I thought, well, how can I make this album something that other people can be part of? And a friend had said to me, well, why don't you run a ki- you know, a crowdfunding campaign? I was like, oh, no, not one of those. People will think that, you know, I'm desperate asking for money. But she made a really interesting point and it sort of changed my view on crowdfunding. She said, Gemma, it's not about needing the money or, or you know, asking and begging. It's, a, it's about bringing people together to be part of the experience. And I, it's like a light bulb went off and I was like, oh, that's so true. Yes. The, the whole idea of crowdfunding, yes, it is to raise money. But the excitement, which I realized from doing the crowdfunding campaign, is that people love being part of something. And the joy for me as an artist to be able to share the experience of recording and and, and making an album with other people was such an amazing just something I didn't realize that was going to happen. And it was a big surprise for me. And um, I loved so many people being part of the whole process. And so when I did the crowdfunding campaign, I really like the key to doing it really was going all in. So, I mean, there was no question to me that I was going to make the goal. I I told myself I have to make it and I I put every bit of energy into it. So um, there's a great book I've read called The 10 Times Rule by um, Grant Cardone. And he talks about that how we underestimate often how much effort we have to put in to reach our goals. And, and it really is true. So whatever you think you need to put in to run a crowdfunding campaign, you need to like times that by 10. So that's basically what I did. And also just making sure that what you want, you're, you're very clear about what the goal is in terms of like what the record you're making is and the vision of it. I was very clear about my vision as I wanted to make a happy, upbeat album that was going to lift people's spirits. That's exactly what I made. And if you listen to the new album, Let's Get Serious, uh, I hope that you will hear, and I'm sure you will, uh, that the happiness and joy I put into making the album because that's what I wanted. I wanted to take people to a simpler time where they can listen and just really enjoy uh and enjoy the music and not be thinking about what's going on in the world right now. So almost exactly one year after her debut album was released, Gemma's crowdfunded second album, Let's Get Serious, landed. This crowdfunded album was put together and recorded entirely during lockdown in Philadelphia, where Gemma now lives. Gemma put together a fantastic band, including Grammy-nominated guitarist Paul Bollenbeck, pianist and arranger Rick Germanson, Eric Wheeler on bass, Joseph Doubleday on vibes, and on drums, George Coleman Jr., the son of American jazz legend George Coleman. Now, by definition, a crowdfunded album will have a number of people with a vested interest. So with the pressure on to deliver in the strangest of global circumstances, how did Gemma go about putting it all together?
we recorded the album over a weekend in Philadelphia. Uh, it was in the middle of the pandemic, so it was very tricky for us to have lots of rehearsals. Uh, and we recorded everything live as a whole band because that's the way I kind of like to do things. I think it's there needs to be a, a fluid, fluidity about um, the, the music and, and the best way to do that is to all play together. So there's definitely uh, like challenges by doing a recording in the middle of pandemic because we had to have like the screens up and I was recording my vocals in a vocal booth so that I was separate from everyone else. And normally like for something like this, we would have had, you know, many, many more rehearsals. So I'm very pleased with how the album turned out. Um, and in terms of like the song selections, I wanted to sing, I always like to sing songs that are a little bit lesser known. It's just so refreshing to hear songs I haven't heard before. So I love when a jazz vocalist brings out an album with lesser known songs. Cause I'm like, oh, I like that song. I haven't heard that before. So um, when I chose these songs, there's a couple of more well-known ones on there. Uh, like, you know, Give Me The Simple Life and Straighten Up and Fly Right. Cause I wanted people to have some something to anchor them to things I know. Uh, but I also love introducing people to new music they haven't heard. Cause that's a, a big joy of mine. There's no doubt that Gemma has grasped the opportunities that this very unique year has offered, with a cancelled tour of her first album being replaced by a crowdfunded second album, and there's still more to come from her yet. So as someone who has refused to sit down and accept defeat this year, what advice does Gemma have to anyone who has struggled to find motivation and inspiration during these really testing times? You've just got to take action yourself. Uh, I think this is in this time more than ever. It's it shows you that you can't depend on other people. You can't depend on managers. You can't depend on booking agents. You can't depend on record labels. You can't depend on other musicians. Sometimes, like it all comes down to you, and you have to make it happen. And so, whether that's you know you need to organize a recording, you need to organize a live stream, like. The best thing you can do right now is to stay positive, work on making sure that, you know, you yourself are healthy and fit and healthy, making sure you're doing some meditation if you need to, uh, making sure you're working with people and working on projects all the time, have something to look forward to, whether it's writing music or learning new songs, make sure you have something to look forward to musically and creatively, because if you get too stuck on how things used to be, you know, you're not going to move forward. Things have changed forever uh, and I think the pandemic's shown us that and I don't think things are going to go back to exactly as the way they used to be sadly um, but you know as the song goes everything must change it's one of my favorite songs um, and it's very true everything must change and it has changed and instead of getting stuck in how things should have been you've got to look forward and go okay what's the situation now reflect on that think about how you need to sort of pivot your career and then work through that way um, there's, there's many musicians that, you know, I think are resisting the whole social media, uh, you know, way of being as a musician. But if you're not on social media, you know, you don't exist to a lot of people. So now is a time to get on those networks, get on Twitter, get on YouTube, get on Instagram, get on Facebook. Make sure you're posting videos of yourself playing, practicing, uh, tag other musicians in it. Like this is the way of networking. You can't be with people at gigs right now. So the best way you can network is by getting on those social media platforms and tagging your friends and networking that way because that way you're building those relationships so when you can gig again, you're still fresh in people's minds. If you're not doing that, 
people are going to forget about you. And I'm, I'm sorry to say that, but it's true because what is there to remind them that you're there? Like, unless you're going to call everyone every day and check in, no one knows what you're doing. No one knows you're still playing. So you've got to keep in people's minds and, and that's the best way to do it because um, these times are definitely, definitely different and you have to pivot with them. She'll never understand 
heart is just a lug you'd like to hug and hold against your heart. The gentleman doesn't know how happy he could be. Look at me crying my eyes out as if he belonged to From her second album, Let's Get Serious, recorded mid-pandemic, thanks to a successful crowdfunding campaign. That was Gemma Sherry and The Gentleman Is Dope. And with that, our Gemma Sherry episode of the Jazz Matters podcast comes to its conclusion. A huge thank you to Gemma Sherry for taking part in this podcast episode. And if you want to find out more about Gemma's work, you can check out her website at GemmaSherry.com. Likewise, you can find Gemma across social media. And as always, I will put all of those links in the podcast show notes for you if you're listening on a podcast platform. As for me, you can also find me across social media with the links for all of those accounts and just about anything else you would want to know about the Jazz Matters Project on the website jazzmatters.net. And you can also catch me every Saturday on Jazz Bites Radio with the London Jazz Review. I'll be back in two weeks' time with yet another exciting guest on the podcast. And until then, it's goodbye for now. Thank you so much for having me, Darren. It was a pleasure to be on Jazz Matters. And I look forward to talking to you again. (laughs) 